Hello, and welcome to the Yosemite Area Creatives Podcast. My name is Tom Shiavon, and I'm recording from Yosemite Cowork in Oakhurst, California. I'll be your host as we yak with artists and artisans from the picturesque Sierra Mountains surrounding Yosemite National Park. Vicki Thomas has such an interesting story about her path to becoming an artist. I'll have to say she was really lucky to have a father who supported what may have seemed like an impractical dream, but turned out to be a career of creating beauty and sharing it with the world. From the people who have seen her paintings, to the children who have read her books or learned art from her, we're all a little better off because of Vicky's choice to follow her dream. I hope you enjoy hearing her story as much as I did. All right, Vicki, so you have, um, you have formal art training. Um, in one of the bios that I read of you, you mentioned that your your father, or it was mentioned that your father supported your career after some persuasion. So um, tell us a little bit how you discovered your passion for art um, as a young person um, and maybe some of your experiences there uh, going to school, not only in Minnesota, but also abroad and how you turned that into a career. Great. Yes. Thank you, Tom. And I'm very happy to be here with you. Uh, well, it's kind of a surprise, and it probably um, is unique to me, I would think, is that my father thought that I would go into um, being a hairdresser or a, an, a secretary. And I was, uh, in my junior year of high school, I was signed up to be a beautician. And I called my father and told him that I don't think, I didn't think that this would be the career for me. And how that came about was that I was a mother's helper, and I don't know if they still have that um, anymore, that you go to someone's, you travel to someone's house, and you stay with them, and you take care of their children. And my, the lady who I worked for noticed that I didn't seem to have any interest whatsoever in doing somebody else's nails or hair, or I didn't study about it, I didn't talk about it. But she says, you're always sketching and always talking about art. Are you sure you don't want to be an artist? And those words just struck me, and I realized, I don't want to be a beautician. I want to be an artist. So I remember calling my father long distance and told him to cancel out the money uh, that he had already paid to the beautician school that I wanted to be an artist. And my father was really dumbfounded. I can, see, I can still see his face um, like long distance. He says, you want to be a what? How are you going to take care of yourself? How are you going to make a living? Very practical, my father, because I come from the Midwest. Right. And um, so I says, well, I don't know, but I just don't want to be a beautician. So he says, well, if that's what you really want to be, then that's what we'll that's what we'll do. We'll take care of that. And I was really so delighted that he supported me in that way because, of course, um, at that time I wasn't earning any money. But when I moved to Minneapolis and started school at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I worked part-time jobs. One of them was a PBX operator. Do you remember what that is? I, I don't know what a PBX oh, is. Well, it's a way of transferring calls. So I sat in and is I Is that would, the thing like where you would like, plug it. in the lines in the different holes? Basically? It's a very good description. That's okay. it, exactly. <laughs> and here's my voice. Good morning, Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Can I help you? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that was so cool. And then I think I also um, operated the uh, elevator. So I was trying to earn my living uh, so that I could help pay for some of the expenses when I went to school. And yes, you're right. Uh, during the junior year, I did go abroad 
and uh, with a bunch of other um, students. And uh, we stayed in uh, uh, Harlem, but went to school in Amsterdam at the uh, Rutfeld Academy. And I learned a lot of things, especially about fashion. And I recall then that I went to Paris to see a Dior show, fashion show. And that was very exciting to think that somebody got to sit down and watch a Dior fashion show. So um, now that I had my purpose, I realized this was, I believe, in the early 70s. And in the 70s, you might recall, jobs were rather scarce, especially for a newbie who wanted to start in fashion. So I did go to work in a couple of fashion houses. One was a mother and daughter fashion house, which that made me realize I do not want to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be an illustrator. And so I worked at that a few years. In a couple of years, I had an, a business of my own in downtown Los Angeles. And there I worked as an illustrator for about 17, 18 years. And that was very, uh, very rewarding to me to do what I wanted to do. And I don't know if I know the difference uh, between... So a designer would be somebody who maybe comes up with the the concept for a piece of clothing. Is That's that right? right. And then the illustrator would transform that into an actual image or how, how does that work? Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, being a designer, um, it is not so lofty as though I'm a, a New York designer. It wasn't anything like that. Um, generally, designers in the office or in the fashion house would decide what the fashions would be and you would cut patterns, <laughs> basically, okay. is what that is. And as an illustrator, then you would draw them up for the public to purchase. Okay. Or f even for buying offices, which I worked for buying offices for a while too and did their work. So that was my, that was my growth uh, pattern. Okay. That's great. So I think we've gotten up to now um, in your timeline, you have gotten up to LA, you've started uh, working in that industry, um, but now you live in the Yosemite area. So how did that happen? What was it about the area that, that drew you in? Well, that's a good question. And I guess my simplest answer would be it was circumstantial. Um, like you mentioned, I lived in Los Angeles for um, about maybe 30 years and then uh, my husband uh, wanted to move up to the Yosemite area uh, because his parents had moved up here and retired. I don't know that I was ready to move out of L.A. because it took all those years to finally establish my art and my art career, and now I was going to pull it all up and move up north to um, the northern part of California. But we did we did do that. And um, I'm happy that we did. The area is absolutely beautiful. And my husband had retired by then. And he loved the area. And I have grown to love it too, very, very much. And so then because his family had been up here, you had vacationed up here. That is I guess, correct. Assuming, or visited them. Yes. Okay. And so what was it like first time you go into the park? It just seems like it's such an, a surreal experience. What was that like the first time that you went into Yosemite? Oh, Tom, it was it was just awesome. It was so gorgeous. I really didn't know where to look from minute to minute and to get my camera up and wish we could stop at every place that I could take photographs that I could paint later. And many times I did 
too. So yes, it is just such a beautiful place to visit, especially when the waterfalls are gushing out their water and the uh, meadows are green, popping up flowers and bushes full and lush. It it really is an astonishing place to visit. Yeah, it's the saturation of beautiful things there is almost uh, obnoxious uh, <laughs> because you just don't, at some point you, you feel like I can't keep taking pictures of everything that looks beautiful because everything is, and even I'm surprised there's not more accidents in Yosemite, right? Because people like looking out windows and so much to see in every direction. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the park, what's your favorite spot to paint and why? Well, now that's an interesting question. And so you have to ask me also, like, what's my favorite suite? And so (laughs) I only have about a million of them. Right. uh, You can just scarcely go wrong, it seems like, when you go to Yosemite. And one of the nice things is that we go, the group, Yosemite Sierra Artists, we go painting or plein air painting, uh, one one destination a month. And I'm so grateful for the two artists who um, arrange this every every month. And the group goes out and we plein air and paint diff- all different places that are reachable and have all the right criteria. So um, in Yosemite, it would be the waterfalls are magnificent. Of course, the Half Dome and uh, El Capitan. I've painted many pictures of those. And I find it always very gratifying if I can pull it off and make it look like it's supposed to look. There's so many iconic rock structures or uh, waterfalls or just even just the valley itself. If you're up at like Glacier Point, right, looking down on everything. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just so majestic. It's hard to go wrong, but it's also hard to exhaust the the different ways to view it and to represent it. Uh, there's so many different styles of painting and art uh, that have captured it, whether it's photography or um, I'm sure there's even probably really good writing, right, that does it, or even some of the, the movies that have come out. I've never seen a painting that like captures the majesty of just being there. Also. Mm. Oh, yes. Nothing can beat that any place you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no matter how many times you like to take a you see something and you take a picture, and you're like, oh, this is so awesome. And then you look at the picture, you're like, that doesn't look as awesome as it felt. You at the time. really sound like you have been there. The fashion illustration is obviously the day job, right? Like, um, but from looking at your works, you don't just draw uh, fashion. You do a lot of painting and of landscapes and uh, still lifes and things like that. So how does how did that work for a long time for you with the with your main job and then, you know, doing the art? Did Were you able to stay pretty active painting other things as well? Well, what happened was that um, things began to change in the fashion industry. They stopped using... They eased up, the marketplace eased up on using sketches and artists and went a lot to photography. Well, that sort of left me out. And um, some things were changing radically in downtown Los Angeles, which is where I had my office. And my husband said to me, why don't you move home and do your work instead of going down there in Los Angeles? And I said, I think that's a great idea. That's when things really begin to happen for me. And I was even happier than I ever have been because I started painting. I started joining clubs, going on plein air out- outings with people, a club that I belong to. I also taught art to children, and I really enjoyed that. And this was at the um, 
Monrovia Historical Museum, and they were a great class. So yeah, that's what happened then. That's how the whole thing changed. And then we moved out of, we moved out of Los Angeles and came here on Northern California, where I continued to paint and be very active in yet another club, uh, the Yosemite Sierra Artists, and they're a wonderful club. Yeah, we've talked about them a little bit before, and there's plenty of their art hanging on the walls here. So then you not only worked as an artist, and you also you know painted um, in your spare time, um, but you've also taught art to young people. So uh, what is it about teaching that you really love? Well, I really love stimulating their love for art. And um, whether they plan on going in art or not, I could see that they enjoyed every class. And I certainly enjoyed when they had that aha moment when they were doing art and they understood things about distance, things about color relating to color, and things about um, line and form and shapes. It was really just so satisfying to me. And I'm sure that like some, as you worked with kids, you would see some are really gifted and maybe could become artists themselves like professionally. And then some kids were just probably learning art and were doing things right, but that wasn't going to be what their passion was. Um, So, you know, what were some of the challenges um, when you were teaching of getting young artists to to maybe even understand or to believe in their vision. I'm sure that there's, you have to grow in confidence in being able to do that. So um, so what were some of those challenges like in learning, uh, passing that confidence on to the to children? Well, I think it's like any good teacher is that you praise them when they've done something quite remarkable. And when something isn't quite working, you tell them why it's not working. And then when they understand it, that is the joy of it, to see the delight on their faces And uh, some of the things that they turned out was really quite remarkable. And things especially that they also did on the side, things that they would bring in that they'd done at home. And that showed me they really had a real interest in art. That delighted me. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like you could really, um, there's a lot of engagement there. Like you can, as a teacher, there is joy. It's easy to think like, they're not listening or it's not getting through, or maybe they're just doing this because they're being forced to or something, right? (laughs) So when they would bring something in from home, I'm sure that that was really enjoyable to see that level of engagement um, outside of the classroom. It was. Okay. So your love for young people and art has also extended into literature. Um, You've got uh, one book out, The Long Dark Cloak. And there is another book now that's in the same series uh, called The Golden Lantern. So maybe just talk a little bit about the book, but also making that jump from from art, visual arts, to uh, written arts. Well, it's kind of odd how it all happened. It's almost supernatural um, to me. I remember years and years ago when the Harry Potter series came out, I was just mesmerized by it, and I don't know what drew me into it, but I would watch the um, cassettes over and over and over again until something began to form in my mind. I didn't have this planned. It just happened. I'm not sure that that the children in my classes, my art classes, um, went forth into my writing. I don't see that that bridge was there. This was just something, a gift that was presented to me, as is my art. These are both gifts that were given to me. 
And they said, go forth and do something with them. <laughs> so, um, so I've been working at both at, one, at, at the same time. And I tell you, they are very, they are both very hard taskmasters because they take a lot of private time, a lot of perseverance and diligence and butt in the chair. That's exactly, or at the easel. And um, it, it just drove me. I, I don't really quite understand it. So I started writing feverishly all the time. And the story was bubbling in my brain all the time. And so I sat down and I began to write and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote seven book binders full of this particular story that um, was a seven book series, If I Live So Long. The third one's with my editor, and I am working on the fourth okay. one, and it is a bugger. Yeah. It is really getting harder and harder. But what a joy. I mean, just such a joy to be able to do these things in my life. Um, it's really wonderful. Yeah, the, it's funny because the ancients, you know, they would talk about the muses. And I think, you know, in a very secularized society, you know, that sounds kind of like a funny concept, right? That there'd be like these supernatural beings that would give you inspiration. But I think um, that seems like it's even still something that artists talk about, um, kind of getting an inspiration for something. It comes kind of out of nowhere. Um, and uh, I really like that. Even I remember reading about authors. I would go to writing conferences when I was in grad school, and the authors would talk about how they didn't know where the story was going and that they would be surprised by what a character did. And I, and that kind of struck me because I was like, well, I thought like you're sitting there and you've got everything planned out in your head where it's going. Right. But, um, there does seem to be some level of, uh, whether it's things coming out of your psyche or, you know, whatever the derivation is, um, there does seem to be in art something where it, it comes from outside of you. And then you kind of become a channel through that. So it sounds like maybe that's a little bit what happened with your with your books there as well. It must have been. And so you mentioned, um, you know, the Harry Potter series and J.K. Rowling. Um, I know that uh, from reading one of the articles, uh, C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien. So um, obviously that kind of the magic fantasy realm, was that something that you... Did you really enjoy those books growing up, those types of books growing up? And then like your writing um, grew out of that? Or was it kind of, did it happen simultaneously? Um, I just think there was a division between the two. But it's like the sparks hit when they needed to. It's mm -hmm. like they were waiting in the wings. And yes, I read uh, Tolkien, I think, when I was in college and totally mesmerized by it. And, of course, C.S. Lewis, I read him also in college and continued to read a couple of his books. But um, the phenomenon was the middle grade that uh, J.K. Rowling uh, wrote. And I, and I think number uh, several things. One, it was in England. Love England. And my story takes place in southern England, okay. uh, where the uh, New Forest is located. And that is a real place. Okay. But uh, I didn't want to be restricted to what that um, area was like, so I called it the West Forest. And um, I remember trying to find some place that had really old, ancient forests to put my setting in. And I was talking to a lady, and she says, oh, well, you should use the new forest. 
And I said, no, 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 I don't want a new forest. I want something very old and ancient with gnarly old oaks. And she says, well, it is old. It's very, very old. She says, but at one time it was new, and that's why they called it New Forest. So I thought that was rather, rather fun. Yeah, they say that in Europe, 100 miles is a long distance, and the United States, 100 years is a long time. <laughs> so uh, I'm assuming that new for them is probably like a thousand-year-old forest. You're quite right. You're right <laughs> about that, really. Rowling has, has mentioned that C.S. Lewis uh, was a big uh, inspiration to her as well. So that makes sense that they would all kind of work Made together. a complete revolution, didn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So in, in painting, there's obviously a set of skills um, that are really important uh, to be able to make that happen, uh, to be able to complete your work. What was it about, like, from your experience in creating the visual arts that helped you to write? And was there anything that you kind of had to unlearn uh, from visual arts to be able to write better? Well, this is something. When I first started writing, it struck me how similar writing and making art are. And since I do both, I was especially, it was especially striking to me. For art, you have to have a layout on a canvas to indicate the big shapes and how they relate to each other. And the best method is to use a big brush. In writing, you need to write out a short synopsis. That is a brief story to what your book is about. In other words, the big picture. In art, you roughly paint in your shapes with a broad brush to assure your color scheme is pleasing. Why a broad brush, you ask? So that you don't get a lot of fussy detail. And so it is when you are beginning to write, too. And don't go back and read what you've written. Just go forward. Get the thing written. And uh, in writing, you have to break the story into chapters, moving each of the plots forward, and the protagonist has to grow. And then you will have to decide on what your protagonist does, and is it believable? Does his motive match his driving desire? So there are so many similarities. I actually wrote some things up here that I think I'll put on my blog if I ever get to my blog. And I think people find the similarities really quite striking. I, I know that in my own writing, I had to learn to not judge the writing as it came out, right? And not to think what comes out at first has to be polished enough to like be able to send to a publisher right away. They, was it Stephen King that says all good writing is rewriting? Um, and rewriting and rewriting. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> lots of revisions. Yeah. Um, and I'm always surprised how I can edit something and then come back even just a day or two later and think, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? Or like, this just doesn't work. I should rework that. It probably in any kind of art form or actually probably any kind of work, right? Where you're trying to be really good at it of not judging yourself in the process and allowing um, allowing yourself to be a little messy at first uh, to get to that point of, of, of a good work. You are so right. Not to be too hard on yourself at the beginning because all true art, it seems, takes that messy beginning and then you go back and you polish it off. Yeah. You know, and by then, let's assume you're a little smarter. So it, yeah, should, it yeah. should be a little easier. I mean, all the famous artists, they could probably just throw something together, right, that would make us angry because they could just do it so easily. But I guess the rest of us people have to to really work at it. So your book is uh, coming out, um, is it May? Is it that is right? May 17th. It will be ready for order. Right now it's in pre-order. 
And you can get it on um, various places, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, iTunes, Cable, and Scribd, as well as retailers in print and ebook. Oh, wow. That's... That's a lot of places. Yeah, There's yeah. no excuse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, go pre-order it in your uh, online or uh, physical store of choice. Yes. Anyway, I might just jump on that to say then, um, first book, as you mentioned, is The Long Dark Cloak. It is book number one in the Relics Adventure. And the second book, The Golden Lantern, uh, will be due, um, as we say, May the 17th. And the third one is in with my uh, publisher right now, and I'm hoping they will write a contract for it. So that's where we stand right now. Okay, great. All right. Well, it's been it's been really wonderful talking to you. I loved hearing about your evolution as an artist and how you've given back to the community and um, continue to give back to the community even uh, remotely by uh, creating books uh, for young adults to read. So um, that's all been really wonderful to hear about. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for having me today. It certainly has been enjoyable. Thank you so much.